The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning. I'm so grateful for you. I am grateful for you, church. I'm excited about this morning. Um, We are three weeks in to the book of Romans right now. Um, And this morning we get to finish up the greeting uh, together. And what we've done the last couple weeks is not only have we walked through the greeting, but my hope is that we have set a foundation for where we are headed in Romans. And we're going to continue that. There's one more thing here that I want us to kind of see and grapple with this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you grab them if you haven't already and open with me to Romans 1. Um, If you haven't noticed this already, Paul loves long sentences. Long ones. Uh, This letter that we've read this morning, or that we've been working through this greeting, the first seven verses, in fact, would it have killed him to just put a period in there? It's one long, like, long sentence that we're trying to unpack together. It's just crazy. But here in this long sentence, there are some really important things that set the tone and foundation for us. Um, Let's get caught up. We started by looking at Paul, who he was, and and from that we talked about conversion and calling. We talked about the fact that that Paul, he says, I'm a servant called to be an apostle, set apart by the gospel. What we talked about is the fact that Jesus really stepped in and just completely interrupted Paul's plans. Just interrupted all of his carefully constructed plans. They come crumbling down. We read in Acts 9 where Jesus appears, changes Paul's life. He will never be the same after this this moment. New man, the Spirit does this work. And we talked about that that is conversion. But we didn't end there because then we looked right here in in this this letter and in this calling that, that Jesus not only converted Paul, but then he called him. And he said, I have set you apart. Those who I have called to myself, I call to go. Paul was converted and called. And we talked about as as amazing, as incredible as Paul's conversion story was, you who are in Christ, your story is no less powerful, no less amazing, no, no less spectacular. Because your God loved you so much. God, your God loved, had, because of his great love for you, while you were just happy in your sin, he came because of his love and, just like Paul, graciously interrupted you. Interrupted your life. Caused you to see the gospel, to respond, and then gave you a calling. We talked that first week that those who he calls, he calls to go. That there is absolutely no such thing as an uncalled Christian. So we set the tone with that. And then last week we continued and we began to talk about the gospel and the fact that Jesus was not some new plan. He was not this, where did that come from kind of plan. That Jesus was the plan from the beginning, unfolding from the beginning through the Old Testament, New Testament, that we are an anchored people. 
That we are anchored in the fact that our Jesus came as a part of God's great plan unfolding. Now this morning, we get to focus on one more element of the greeting together. It's half a verse um, that I'd like for us to hone in on. We're going to look at the end of verse 5. Romans 1, 5b. All right? says this, for the sake of his name among all the nations. For the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul says, I've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So Paul here gives this why statement here. Honestly, it would be really easy for us to just blow by this one. To just move right along into the meat of this letter. But I want to assure you, and I hope you're going to see this with me this morning, that the original audience of this letter would not have done that. They would not have blown by this, this statement that Paul makes. I propose to you this morning that this little 5B... Um, statement here is an absolutely scandalous and provocative statement. Yet, this is a statement that is foundational to the gospel. I will also propose that this statement will fly into the face of some of our own tendencies today. In other words, it's not just for those heathens back then, but that this is something that we need to wrestle with today as it is a foundation for the gospel today. This statement is both one of rebuke and comfort, one of warning and belonging. Paul says, for the sake of his name among all the nations. Let's unpack this. To do that, let me do some contextual work. I want to talk about the city of Rome for for a quick moment so we can kind of see why this would have been provocative. Um, The church in Rome, it had been around for some time. And you could read, if you were to flip to Acts 18, we won't this morning, but if you were to flip over there, you would read that something happened in this church. Actually, something happened in this city. The emperor at this time, uh, it was Emperor Claudius, made the decision to kick out, to expel all Jews from the city. When I say Jews, that would have included those who are believing and non-believing, those who believed in Jesus and those who didn't. Um, he decided to expel them all from the city of Rome. This would have been a painful time. A a painful time. But as we see, about five years later, the Jewish people are allowed to return. They're allowed to come back. Again, to be clear here, this would have included both believing and non-believing Jews. They were allowed to come back. There's an interesting thing here that happened, though, when this happened. See, the church, who was once predominantly Jewish, but was a mix, predominantly Jewish, some Gentiles, the church of Rome was Jewless for five years, without Jewish presence for five years. This church that was once predominantly Jewish now was without a Jewish influence. And I know, I don't know, but I assume this wasn't done maliciously. But what happens? Well, that church that used to be predominantly Jewish now began to look like, to act like, to smell like a Gentile. 
So the church that was once predominantly Jewish did things in a Jewish kind of way, now was without a Jewish influence for five years. Now this church began to function a little more Gentile. So much so that when the Jews did come back, when the believing Jews came back not only to their city but to their church, when this happened, things were not quite the same. This caused a tension, it caused a division, it caused a bit of a culture war here in this this church. How do we follow Jesus? What should our practices look like? What should we do to follow Jesus? And it's during that time, church, that Paul writes this letter. It's during this time that they were greatly divided, he writes this letter to try to unify them. And Paul, by the way, is uniquely qualified to do this. Paul is, is Jewish. He is on good standing with the Jewish people, and Paul was also called and set apart for a ministry to the Gentiles. He, he, he advocated for the Gentiles. He planted churches with Gentiles. Paul was the right guy to, to speak what he is speaking. With this context in mind, though, just consider how Paul just opened this letter. Paul, who was converted and called to bring the gospel, which is anchored, like we talked about last week, in the Old Testament Jewish scriptures, he was called to take that gospel, to proclaim it, and to teach it, as Paul says in 5b, for the sake of his name among all the nations. Take this in, because this church, who is right in the middle of a culture war, my culture over yours, my people over yours, Whether you were Gentile or Jewish believer, Paul speaks this directly to you right in the midst of this. He says, for the sake of his name among all the nations, all the nations. Now, I want to be honest here for a moment. When you heard me say all the nations and you heard me target in on 5B, you probably, many of you were saying, oh, here it comes. This is going to be a missionary message. Um, To you, I say this. Yes, of course it is. Um, Of course it is. Jesus himself gave you a missionary message when he said, go therefore. Um, Of course, this is a missionary message. However, I would also argue that this is a bigger message than than just those who are called to go to Africa or China to as a missionary. This is bigger than this because what this does is it speaks to the foundation, the motivation, the heart, the why behind all of that. It speaks to the sin of our hearts that prohibits us from going. I would argue that this message is just as relevant today as it has ever been. So let's look at this. Paul says, in this context, for the sake of his name among all the nations. So this would have been an affront to any individual who was seeking to promote themselves or their way of doing things, their culture over any other. This would have been an affront to any individual who was seeking to say, hey, exclusive rights are mine to this gospel thing over any other person. Specifically, Let's bring this into this context. This would have been an affront to any Gentile who saw the return of their Jewish brothers and sisters as an inconvenience to them, as a hindrance, as a, nu- as a nuisance, that they were going to un- interfere with their church and the way they did things and the way it was going the last five years. 
This would have also been an affront to any Jewish believer who returned in outrage to see what his Gentile brothers and sisters were doing to his church, polluting it, polluting their ways of doing things. Because of this, I want to pull out two kind of timeless truths from this, timeless principles from this before we move further. Um, Number one, the gospel is not owned by any one culture. The gospel is not owned by any one culture, people group, ethnicity, language, tribe, nation, group, denomination. The gospel is not owned by any one culture. And any time we claim exclusive ownership of the gospel of Jesus Christ, any time the gospel of Jesus is only an American thing, any time it is only a our church, our kingdom thing, anytime that begins to happen, um, we distort, pollute, tarnish the beauty of the gospel. When we do this, church, we create unnecessary hurdles and boundaries. All those hurdles and boundaries that Christ came to abolish, we set them up. When we do this, we fail to see how beautiful the gospel really is. And, and please hear me. I am not saying that, you know, all roads lead to heaven. There's no right way. I'm not saying that. Um, I am saying, though, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that all who call on him, all who call on him will be saved, people from all nations, tribes, tongues. The gospel is seen in our diversity. The gospel is seen in our diversity. Um, I want you to just picture this. We're going to picture this a couple times this morning. Think of the final scene, if you remember it, in the Bible in Revelation, that scene when um, people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, they come before, around the throne, and they worship Jesus. I I know it's hard to picture something that like that, but try to picture that scene. The gospel is seen in that picture as this just beautiful display of our diversity. All people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. And I, I mean this when I say this. Church, we need to be honest with ourselves and repent because in our flesh, We crave homogeny. We crave when we feel more comfortable, when everyone around us looks like us, sounds like us, acts like us, values what we value. We love this. We're drawn to it. We feel this pull in us for this. And I'm not saying that that because of that, we're saying, you know, we're only going to proclaim the gospel to people that look like us. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we can fall into this tendency, this temptation, that when we present the gospel to people who are not like us, we then require of them that they become like us. That they do what we do and they do what we do the way that we do it. Instead of us seeing with gospel eyes the beauty of their culture, the beauty of what they do and the way they do things, instead of seeing how the gospel is seen in their culture, we instead try to convert them to our culture. This might sound innocent at first. It is not. At the heart of this is idolatry. When we feel this pressure to make everyone look like us and act like us and sound like us, 
It's because we are worshiping ourselves and we want to see that image. We're beginning to remodel our God to fit our image. And the gospel shatters this. The gospel shatters this. And for those who have the eyes to see it, for us through Jesus who have been given the eyes to see the way the gospel just steps in in cultures different from our own, we're able to see how the gospel unites us in our differences. And when I said that we need to repent as the church, I tragically meant it because historically, the church has failed so often to practice this. We need to repent to come to Jesus and ask for his eyes to see. The gospel unites us. I want to give, us, I want to give you an example. This is going to be a really tangible one. I love so many things that we do here at Stone Oak. I really do. I, uh, there are so many things that I think we do well that I really love. Um, I, a couple. I, I love the way we focus on and hold fast to doctrine and teach Scripture faithfully. We really submit to it. We, we filter it all through it, and I love that. I want to be a ch- part of a church like that. I love, have loved our focus on discipleship. Not an easy, breezy, kind of come and get knighted and you're a disciple kind of thing, but I love the focus we have on discipleship. I love it. I love that focus in our kids' ministry, that our kids' ministry is saturated with it. I love this. I love our heart here to send out churches, to plant churches. I love that. There's more. I could say more, but I I love what God is doing here. I love so many things that he is doing. But you know what? We can stink at some things too. Sometimes we have some things that we need to learn from our other brothers and sisters. Before you stone me, let me give you an example. Let's think about community. Some of you are, I'm good at community. How dare you, pastor? You might be, okay? You might be great. But there are some brothers and sisters that I'd like to introduce you to that um, grasp this community thing in a way that I don't think I ever have. Let me introduce you to Manuel. He's not here. I'm going to tell you about him. Um, Manuel is a friend. Um, He's a friend. I've known him for several years. Um, He's the pastor of Encuentro. I think I said that right. Church on the northwest side of our city. And um, it's, Encuentro is a Spanish-speaking church. It's an EFCA church. Um, and Manuel is a faithful brother. He is fun. He is fun. He's one of those people. He's probably going to watch this later, so I've got to be careful. He's one of those people that is just fun to pick on. He just is. He's awesome. You'd love him. Hopefully, I'll introduce you to him sometime soon. Um, but I was on the phone with him this week. And uh, I was asking, you know, what God was doing in Encuentro, and I asked him specifically about their Sunday morning service. Uh, What does it look like at Encuentro? Um, (laughs) I got to share this with you. Um, So Manuel, this is a rundown. Just follow with me here. Just pretend like this happened today, all right? Manuel, he he gets there, a few others get there between 8 and 8.30, and he, you know, gets there and he starts to make the coffee for the teams. By the way, pause. Coffee is cross-cultural. It's just, it's like the gospel. It's cross-cultural. Um, 
that's beside the point. But he, he, he gets there and he says, typically breakfast taquitos arrive at 8.30. And uh, I love this because he made this point so many times. I think it, he made it so many times. He said in our conversation, and don't think that this is scheduled. Like we don't have some kind of master calendar to say, you're, you're bringing taquitos that day and he's got them this next day. No, no schedule. They just show up with them. They just bring them. They start eating. You know, and then from that point, people began trickling in. And he said, they, they're not trickling in empty-handed either. They're coming with uh, food and all kinds of stuff. And again, he paused and he said, and it's not that there's a schedule. They're just showing up with this stuff. They're just showing up with this stuff. They bring it. Their service begins at 11. Um, begins at 11. They're going right now. Um, preaching the, the gospel there. They preach. They, they worship together. Um, and at 12.30, Manuel does not dismiss, he said. Um, he was very clear about this. He, instead of dismissing, he shifts them into fellowship. So, he said for Inquintro, fellowship is not what happens in the little bit of time before and the little bit of time after the service. No. Fellowship is a part of the service. It's what it's like worship, it's like preaching, it's like communion, fellowship. All 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 in. So, he shifts them into fellowship. And that means, of course, more food. They eat a lot together on a Sunday morning. You're going to see that. Um, so they, they start eating together, and he said what's funny is because there's no calendar, there's no schedule that people will just stand up and be like, we need bread. I'm going to go to H-E-B, or we need, we, we need some sweet tea. I'm going to go grab some. So they just kind of go as they go and say, who wants to make a run? Go grab it, bring it, fill in the gaps. Let's have some food. They start eating together, um, fellowshipping together for two to three more hours. Manuel says that um, many times he has to kind of come up and say, it's time to lock up. We got we to gotta go. Um, but then they don't go home. He was very clear about this too. They don't go home. And if they do go home, they don't go home alone. They go together to another restaurant or to a grill out on the, at uh, someone's house. They, they hang out together. They eat together again. In Quintro, Sunday service is an all day, long event. Because for Enquintro, church is community. Church is family. I know some of you are introverts, and the thought of this gives you like low-level anxiety. I get that. <laughs> I, <laughs> you can laugh at it because it's uncomfortable. I know. Um, but church, is that not beautiful? Is that not a beautiful display of the gospel that says you're welcome to the family of God? Not only welcome to come sit and hear us talk to you and sit and hear us sing at you, but you are welcome to come to our table. You are welcome to come to our home. You are welcome to eat that taquito. You are welcome to the family. You belong I don't know about you, but it's easy to see the gospel and what Enquintro does. 
At Stone Oak, at Stone Oak Bible, we do not own the gospel. We celebrate the way we see it here. Praise God we see it here. We celebrate that. We stand on that. And we celebrate it when we see it in our brothers and sisters as they express it in different ways. We celebrate it in Encuentro and we learn from them. Let me give you another example. We see the gospel in places like Ethiopia and the Ethiopian church. So I had the great joy of going to Ethiopia and going to a service while I was there on one of the trips, and I didn't understand a single word. But there was a familiar spirit there. They, there was no smoke. There were no lights. There were no mirrors. There was, the sound system was so primitive but whoo, was their worship vibrant. They, all across the room, singing, clapping, dancing, they worshiped Jesus. And our worship doesn't look like that. I've never once caught any of you dancing. <laughs> Not once have I caught you guys dancing. Um, but what a proclamation of the gospel in their joy. Think of one more. A couple weeks ago, we gathered as a church to pray for the church in China. And we talked about the persecution that they're facing right now. And as we prayed for them, we were just kind of overwhelmed with their sense of perseverance and faithfulness, endurance. We see the gospel in our brothers and sisters in all different ways. We do not own the gospel church. We do not have exclusive rights to it to make it look and act like us. We celebrate it when we see it here in our church, and we celebrate it when we see it in others. And if you can just for a moment again visualize that last scene in Revelation. When people from all tribes and nations and tongues, when Stone Oak Bible Church and Encuentro and Ethiopian church all come before the same throne room, <laughs> offering themselves and their gifts to God. First question I have is, church, what are we bringing? Second, though, church, can you just see, can you imagine the beauty of the church? United in our diversity, the gospel shining through us, the fullness of the gospel. So to this church in Rome who are divided by their differences. Paul says, for the sake of his name among all the nation. We are united under the gospel of Jesus Christ and our differences praise him and showcase him. Um, so the gospel is not owned by any one culture. The second principle here that is timeless that might sound familiar, it's a little different though, is that the gospel is not perfectly at home in any culture, in any one culture. The gospel is not perfectly at home in any one people group, ethnicity, language, tribe, nation, any denomination, any group, any one culture. Here's what I mean when I say this. The gospel will expose some rough edges in every single culture. The gospel will expose some rough edges in every single culture. And there are things that each culture does, each way of doing things. There are certain things that need to be more conformed to Jesus. 
There is sin, there are destructive behaviors that pull us from the truth of Jesus in each and every culture. No culture is exempt from this. And that should be really obvious, because what is culture? Culture is just a collection of people. And what are those people? Well, they're sinners. So in every culture, in every group, in every denomination, until Jesus returns, we are going to have to identify things in ourselves that need to be conformed more to Jesus. For the Gentiles and for the Jews here in Rome, the call was not only, Lord, fix them, change them, speak out against them. It was a call for the gospel to change themselves. No matter who you are, no matter what church you belong to, denomination, group, you can be sure that there are still a few rough edges that the Spirit must smooth. And it will take humility, church, for us to to see this because it is way easier to point out all the ways. Way easier to point out all the ways that they are not right, that they have missed it, that they need to change. It is far more difficult and it is far more beneficial for us to ask the Lord, what about me? What about us? What are we doing? What are you doing in us? What rough edges do we still have? What are the things that we need to bring to you? And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. When it feels like you've dedicated all your time and energy into just calling them out and how they're wrong and how they should fix their stuff, and then all of a sudden God says, I'm after you. I'm looking to change you. I'm looking to sanctify you. It's uncomfortable, (laughs) but incredible and necessary. Here's the reality, though. Throughout Romans, Paul is setting out and spelling out the gospel, what it is and what it's not. And through it all, Paul wants this church to be united, both Jew and Gentile, united in Christ, one in Christ, one, brothers and sisters, one. And I want us to see one thing here in this text before we wrap up. I want us to see one more thing, and it's going to draw us back to where we were last week a little bit, but we need to see this. When Paul says, for the sake of his name among all the nations, this all the nations thing was not a new plan. It wasn't a New Testament plan. It wasn't just this new thing that Jesus did when he came. No, this all the nations thing was the plan in the heart of our God from the beginning of time. Yes, throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people played the predominant role in bringing about that plan. But the heart of God was and is always for all the nations. We see this in the very call of Abraham at the beginning. In Genesis 12, God says, All the families, and you, all the families of the earth, all, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, in Genesis 17, you, Abram, Abraham, will be the father of a multitude of nations. The plan was always for the nations. You see it all over the Psalms. Let the nations rejoice. Let the nations be glad. Make known among the nations what he has done, Psalm 105. But you know what? Instead of just saying all this, I want to show it to you. I want to show you something here. Um, In my study this week, I wanted to just see this. I I mean, I've heard this. I want to see it. And, And so I did kind of a quick search here 
through the Old Testament for all of the Old Testament passages that I could see. Keep in mind, this wasn't a, I mean, I did this quickly, but all of the ones that I could see um, where the Old Testament reveals God's plan, his heart, his desire for all the nations, including but not limited to the people of Israel. All right? So I want to show you this. Let's take a look. I'm going to move out of the way. All right, so if you're, for anyone who's listening online or if you just don't have crazy good eyesight to see this, what you're looking at right now is a screen, our screen, filled with references. All it is is book, chapter, verse. You're looking at a screen filled with references Old Testament references that point us back to the God's heart and plan for all the nations. As we see this, I just want to say something. Don't you dare think for a minute this is a new thing. Don't think this is a new thing. This is not a new thing. This is and has been the plan of our God from the beginning for the sake of his name among all the nations. When Paul says this, he is steering us back to the original plan. Now, that plan was made even more beautiful when Jesus came, made wonderfully clear and possible through Jesus Christ, but he is tying us back to the plan that was been, has been in motion from the beginning. Paul makes this point crystal clear all throughout Romans. You're going to see this again and again and again. God's heart was for the nations then. In church, God's heart is for the nations still today. For all nations. This means a couple things for us. Just real quickly, first of all, um, all of us, every single Christian, every single follower of Jesus in Christ, all of us are to share in God's heart for the nations. All of us, every one of us, we share a common purpose. For some of us, that means that you are called to go, to literally pick up, pack up, and move in, to have this incarnational missionary ministry where you give yourself to go where they are so that by the grace of God, they might come to know Jesus. Some of you are called to go to another nation because of God's heart for all the nations. This might be you. I can't say this clearly enough. Go. Go. Our God converts and our God calls, and those whom He calls, He equips. You have all that you need to accomplish all that God has for you to accomplish. Go. Go. Some of you are called to go, others of you are called to send, to be a part of the sending. In fact, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, 
and he desired to use them as a sending hub. He wanted to continue his ministry west on into Spain, and Rome would make a great hub for sending disciples for that new work. Paul wanted this church to be a sending hub. For some of you, that's your call. You were called to be senders, to send resources, to partner, to encourage, to pray, to send, and to send well. I remember when we planted uh, two years ago, three years ago, man, we're getting old, um, when we started Mission Community Church over by SeaWorld. I remember when we were doing this, and um, I remember a few of us went, got up, moved, and helped start that church. We're sent out. But I remember that the rest of us, there was this great joy in sending, where we partnered together and we sent them on their way. It was a joy. Because of God's heart for all the nations, some of you are called to go, others of you are called to be sending. We also, though, need to open our eyes to what's going on in our world right now um, because there's a reality that every single one of us are called to reach all the nations who just so happen to live and to work and to do life in your community, in your office, and in your neighborhood. The truth is that all the nations, they're now here. They are are now here. And reaching all the nations may simply mean that you step outside of your own doorstep. Each and every one of us, though, hear me, share in the common purpose of reaching the nations with the gospel. We share in this call because God's heart is for all the nations. Second thing, though, in more than that, in Christ, all of us have experienced God's heart for the nations. What I mean when I say this, because of God's heart for all people, all of us, are welcome into God's family through Jesus Christ. No matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter your story. We experience this through Jesus Christ, and that is really, really good news. I don't care who you are, your past, your family tree. There is no hurdle, there is no obstacle that Christ has not overcome for you. And you are welcomed into the family of God through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We share in this and we experience this. And that's why I can say with absolute confidence that no matter who you are, no matter, Christ is calling you to come. One more time, will you imagine that scene in Revelation? Will you imagine that scene in Revelation Because Christ is calling you and inviting you into that scene. When people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue, when people from every church, every community, each of us bringing ourselves, our gifts, our diversities, coming together to worship Jesus, you're invited into that. His heart is for all the nations. His heart is for you. And through Jesus, you are welcomed into that family. Let's pray together. God, your gospel, the good news that you love us and that you sent your son, 
demonstrating your great love for us that while we were dead in our sins, we can know you and our sins are forgiven through his blood. Lord, we grapple this morning, we wrestle with a tendency in our own heart to want to be territorial with your gospel, to want to be kingdom-minded with even our church. And when I say kingdom-minded, I'm not talking about your kingdom. I'm talking about the kingdoms we try to build. We feel this tendency to want to build up our own agendas, call people to be like us and do what we do. But Lord, as we approach your word, we realize that your gospel, your truth shatters that, reveals it for what it is, and it is sin. So Lord, we confess as your people. Help us to love our brothers. Help us to love our sisters. Help us to link arms instead of cross arms. Help us to hold each other up instead of tear each other down. Help us to understand that the gospel is seen in our diversities. Help us, no matter who we are, where we are from, help us, Lord, to see the ways that you want to smooth out those edges, that you want to identify those sins that we cling to. God, I believe you're doing a work in us, in our hearts, that's preparing us for what you would have for us in the rest of this book. And God, so as we meditate on this, as we take this in, I pray that through your Spirit you begin to just change us, convict us, grow us, Lord. Help us to see our community with fresh eyes. Help us to lift up our brothers and sisters more in prayer. Help us to partner together more for the purpose of your gospel. And through it all, Lord, help us to become even more committed to your truth. Help us to understand what is our foundation? And to rephrase that better, who is our foundation? Help us to see Jesus in this, Lord. And would you use us right where we are in our homes, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our offices, would you use us to make your name known among all the nations? We give you glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen.